kaore te kumara e kōrero ana mō tōna reka. It's not for the kumara to talk of its own sweetness. Inga iwi o te motu, no mai anō ki tēnei hōtaka e kia nei ko te ahi kā. Ko Justin Murray tēnei, I'm Justin Murray. And I'm Maraia Rakuraku, and you're back with Te Ahi Kā, a show providing an insight into Māori issues and stories, here on Radio New Zealand National. It's all on this upcoming week for Te Ao Māori, and in tonight's broadcast, we profile an event and an issue that's gaining some momentum. In a few moments, law lecturer Carwin Jones joins us with a Māori legal perspective on the proposed government changes to the State-Owned Enterprises Act. On Thursday, a delegation of Māori head to India for two weeks, attending the 4th International Conference of Elders of Ancient Traditions and Cultures. The role of Māori when it comes to ancient uh, traditional ancient rituals and traditions that have been performed by our ancestors in their time. So uh, we are talking about the, the rituals that Māori perform uh, before the arrival of the European to our shores. And last up, we're with Wellington-based artist James Molnar, who changes his iwi affiliations to suit certain situations. Hmm. Okay, my iwi is um, we're um, Natuma Puarangi, which is out Kiwaradapa, and also Rangi Tane, and also Nati Kuya. And uh, today I'm Nati Rokawa. We're in Purido. <laughs> what do you mean today you're Nati Rokawa? Oh, it's more relevant, I should say. <laughs> Hard case, all right. More from James later on in the show. For those of you tuning in, that's the lineup for the next hour. Leading up to last year's election, the sale of state assets was high on the National Party agenda. For the past two weeks, it's all we've heard about as consultation hui with Māori have taken place around the country. Last week we heard from Margaret Mutsu. This week it's the turn of Victoria University law lecturer Carmen Jones who breaks down all that lawyery speak with 10 things you should know about the government proposals. It is simple in some ways, you know, that it is it is simply that the tension about how to recognise that, that, that balance that Whatarangi Winniata talked about between Kawanatanga and Tenoranga Tiratanga and how to reflect uh, what is inside that that treaty relationship and that partnership, what Tenoranga Tiratanga means in terms of of um, the kinds of resources that are that are um, bound up in these these companies. Because that relationship Cowan Jones is always viewed as being in conflict with each mm. other. A eh? Kawanatanga is on one side. That's so. What we're talking about mm. is terminology that first came up within the Treaty of Waitangi. Yeah, yeah. In eighteen forty. Yeah, yeah. So, so Kawanatanga um, being the idea of, of reflecting that concept of government. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, they are often seen as being in and conflict. And Tino Rangatira being um, you know, what was guaranteed to the Māori party in this treaty, the Rangatira, um, that idea of, of chieftainship or, or absolute chieftainship um, is often talked about, often seen as being in conflict. But um, uh, uh, rather than rather than seeing them as, as being in conflict, I think you can see them as 
as creating a natural tension. These are these are two spheres in which um, spheres of authority in which which the peoples of this of this country operate, and, and it's, it's simply a matter of working out where that balance is. Um, and it often needs to be done through particular examples as particular issues come up, working out what's the appropriate role for Māori, what's the appropriate role for government, how do you how do you best give effect to Tanoranga Tiratanga, how do you also reflect um, you know, the government's uh, kawanatanga. Because sometimes it's viewed as such a divisive thing as being simplistically put down to being Māori versus Pākehā, isn't it? Mm, mm. Yeah, and it, I mean it's it's uh, uh, I, 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 I think it's, it's more helpful to think of 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 what our tipuna were were establishing. They were envisaging a situation where uh, where Maori retained their tenoranga tiratanga, but they made an opening to for Pākehā for the government to to regulate their own people and control um, matters within their sphere of influence uh, and and. You know that that does mean a kind of partnership. That does mean that sometimes you need to talk to each other about about what's going on. That because what the government does affects Maori. What Maori do obviously can can affect um, the way the government um, operates and in, in their interests as well. Okay, so with that dynamic. Mm. We have this latest proposal. Since the 8th of February, a series of consultation hui with Māori have been taking place around the motu, and you and I were at the Wellington consultation hui a couple of days ago as part of a proposal to change legislation in relation to Genesis Power, Meridian Energy, Mighty River Power and Solid Energy New Zealand Limited. Now, what exactly is it the government's proposing? So what the government is proposing to do is, is at the moment, those uh, four companies are state-owned enterprises. So that means that, that the government owns 100% of those the shares in those companies um, and the shareholdings are, are, are held by ministers. Now, what the government is proposing to do is to sell down their shareholding in those, so so that they'll so almost half of of their shareholding, so that in each of those companies um, they'll sell up to forty nine percent of the shares. Uh, meaning that they hold fifty one percent. Meaning that they still retain control, right? They will retain fifty one percent of the shareholdings, and um, obviously that gives them a majority uh, of the shareholdings. Um, it does, of course, dilute their interest and obviously their control as well along with that. Um, and, and that's one of the issues I think that, that, that we really need to think about too is, is how the government is diluting its, its own ability to, to fulfil its treaty obligations. Now, OK, so what has it got to do with, with treaty obligations? Right, so at the moment, those companies, as I say, they're all state-owned enterprises, and so they're governed and regulated by the State-Owned Enterprises Act. Now, that act has a treaty principles provision in it. It has Section 9, uh, and Section 9 of the State-Owned Enterprises Act says, nothing in this act shall commit the Crown to act in a manner that's inconsistent with the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. So that's 
um, in the legislation which regulates those companies now. In order to sell down their shareholding, to partially privatise these uh, companies, those companies will be taken out of the scope of the State Owned Enterprises Act and there'll need to be new legislation which governs those. And so the question then is that what that means is that they would no longer be under the State Owned Enterprises Act, they'd no longer be under that Section 9 Treaty Principles provision. So the question then becomes how, what if any um, provision for treaty principles might there be in the new legislation which would govern those companies? So why is Section 9 important? Uh, well, a lot of people will know that Section 9 has, has quite an important history. Um, this was kind of the first treaty principles provision and legislation that came before the Court of Appeal. And it gave us um, that the landmark case in 1987, the New Zealand Māori Council case, often referred to as the Lands case or the State-Owned Enterprises case. And it's important because the Treaty of Waitangi by itself isn't directly legally enforceable in our courts. But if you include in legislation a provision like Section 9, if you have that in a statute, then that at least gives treaty principles some teeth and some ability to, to be enforced in the courts. So in, in the New Zealand Māori Council case, in the Lands case, the Court of Appeal found that the government of the day couldn't go ahead with the transfer of land to these new state-owned enterprises without first setting up some protection mechanism uh, to ensure that Māori claims to those lands um, would not be prejudiced. So that if there were claims that hadn't been heard at that point but were later determined were, were well-founded claims, then the government wouldn't be able to just say, um, yes, you do have a legitimate right to that land, but we can't give it back to you because it belongs to someone else now. And, and that's a kind of consistent theme of the case law and of, of Waitangi Tribunal reports, um, that the government needs to ensure that it doesn't act in a way which makes it impossible for it to fulfil its treaty obligations. Now, when we were at the consultation hui last week, uh, Judge Eddie Taihakure Jury explained it in, in layman's terms? Yeah, so the way he described it was would be to say that uh, if, if you had an individual who owed money to people, now, you wouldn't let that individual um, get rid of all their, their, their money and assets before you made sure that their creditors had been paid off. So um, in the case of... of Māori claims and state-owned enterprises, uh, the concern was that um, there were outstanding Māori claims to land that hadn't been heard by the Waitangi Tribunal, and that if those claims were determined to be well-founded, if they were found to be legitimate claims and Māori had um, rights to the land then the concern was that if that land had already moved outside of Crown ownership, if it was um, belonged to these state-owned enterprises or even been sold on to third parties, then you wouldn't be able to get that land back in settlements. But the government's actually put up three pro 
proposals for Section 9. They're not necessarily saying that, you know, they're going to get rid of Section 9 completely or get rid of the treaty relationships. What are those three proposals? Okay, so there's the, well, the first option is, is to uh, essentially to continue with Section 9, to move uh, Section 9 over into the new legislation, and that would continue to apply to these companies once that shareholding has been sold down. Uh, the, the second option is to come up with a new treaty principles provision um, and the government has talked about that in terms of, well, maybe we could have something more specific than a general protection of treaty principles uh, in that legislation. And then the third option that the government talks about is uh, to have no treaty principles clause at all in the new legislation. What we heard at the Hui um, and what the, the I've heard government spokespeople saying they've heard consistently around the country is that Section 9 um, ought to be retained, that ought to be transferred over into into the new legislation. And, and, and I think that certainly Section 9 is important because it gives though that it sets in place the treaty obligation, since the government has these treaty obligations, and it makes that obligation directly enforceable in the courts if it's in the legislation. But it's not, it's not the whole story, it's, um, because Section 9 provides the obligation, but it doesn't actually provide the mechanisms that might protect Māori rights. Uh, that may be affected. So, for example, in the State-Owned Enterprises Act, Section 9 sets out that the government has obligations um, to behave consistently with treaty principles. But in terms of, of actually um, providing protection for land to be used in, in future claims... Uh, the State-Owned Enterprises Act has a number of provisions which set out how that will occur so that they provide the Waitangi Tribunal, for instance, with specific powers to recommend that the Crown buy back land to be used in treaty settlements. So that's what we call the protection mechanism. So what while Section 9 is important for stating that obligation, it also needs to be accompanied by, by a mechanism that actually um, gives practical effect or implements um, how those treaty rights are to be protected. So, Cohen Jones, are there examples of where that's actually occurred? So, so uh, there are there are two two things there. Um, there are a number of examples of the uh, sort of these types of mechanisms being set up. So, for instance, we have the State Owned Enterprises Act. Uh, we have a, these protection mechanisms that allow the tribunal to recommend for uh, the right. land to be brought back and used in settlements. Um, we see similar situations occurred um, with the forestry assets and that led to the establishment of the Crown Forestry, forestry Rental, Rental Trust. Trust. Um, now, one thing I should say in relation to the State-Owned Enterprises Act, the protection mechanisms there, those 
those provisions have almost never been used. Um, uh, and the the uh, so the tribunal hardly ever exercises its binding powers to to f- force the government to buy back uh, private interests in land, essentially, for settlements. Which actually brings me to a couple of points we heard at the hoi. Mm. I mean, a couple of people were getting up and saying, oh, you know, the tribunals... I mean, they were effectively saying the Waitangi Tribunal is useless. I mean, it's still... I mean, it's a body that recommends... Yeah. Um, um, yes, yes, we certainly heard that uh, at the hui, and, and, and there are there are difficulties with the way the tribunal operates, uh, and, and one of them is perhaps that that it, by and large that its recommendations are non-binding; that they are only recommendations, and then the government can choose whether or not to follow uh, what the tribunal says. Uh, w- one thing that that the tribunal uh, can do, which is is very helpful and may be particularly helpful in this situation is to um, inquire into the nature of the Maori rights that are affected. So, so that might be a, a very useful process to go through in this situation to determine um, exactly what the nature of Maori rights uh, in these four particular companies might be and in particular um, there's been discussion about um, what Māori rights there might be in the water resources that these um, electricity generation companies are, uh, are using. Which has led to a case that's been uh, which has led to a claim that's been placed with the Waitangi Tribunal around the ownership of water. Yes, so so the New Zealand Māori Council uh, has again again <laughs> has has brought a claim to the Waitangi Tribunal, uh, specifically addressing uh, that question of, of rights uh, in relation to water. So, would Section Nine provide sufficient protection for Māori rights in relation to the partially privatised energy companies? Well, while Section Nine is, is really important because it gives that obligation. Um, as I mentioned before, it's not it's not the whole story. Oh, there, right. there's, there's, there's still that section twenty seven. There, there's still the need to have some kind of protection mechanism that's in place, and particularly um, with section nine in this context, because section nine only imposes these obligations on the government. So, which might be fine when the government owns all the shares and has complete control over these companies. But if the government is selling down its shareholding, it's also giving up some control of those companies um, to the, be influenced by other shareholders. Other shareholders who don't have treaty obligations. And that was a concern expressed at the Hui as well, wasn't it? That sure, it starts here with the 49%, yeah. but eventually it could end up being all of it. Well, that's right. And if, if the government continued to sell down its interests um, to a very small shareholding or, or to sell these assets completely, then having a Section 9 type provision um, wouldn't do any good because that only applies to the government and they would no longer have any interest in those companies. So even when they're selling down these shares, even to to maintain a 51% shareholding, they're still giving up some influence and some control to these other shareholders. So in order 
to do that, they ought to be managing that transfer in a way which is consistent with treaty principles, ensuring that treaty principles are still going to be protected. And one way that, that's been discussed that that could be done is to um, ensure that in the new legislation, uh, the obligation to act consistently with treaty principles was not only on the government, but perhaps was on the company itself, so that then whoever was a shareholder of the company um, would have to act in a way which was consistent with treaty principles, and that might provide a type of uh, protection for Māori interests. So Whatarangi Waniata came up with uh, a couple of suggestions. Uh, there are a number of ways that, that you might want to um, protect Māori rights uh, in, in these companies and in the assets, the resources that these companies are using. And, and part of what needs to happen is, first of all, I think, you need to really identify what those Māori rights are and what they look like. And that's why the, why the Waitangi Tribunal might be a useful process to go through. Um, and, and I think uh, that some of the suggestions that, that Whatarangi had were um, directed at, that, at, at, at identifying exactly what the interest is. So how, for example, um, Māori property rights in water uh, might be recognised, might be ref best reflected um, and, and so he, he was I think uh, talking about establishing a mechanism a process for, for doing that And people were expressing concerns that you know this could impact on their marae water supply and from what you're saying that's a real that's a, a legitimate concern isn't it? Yeah, well, well, certainly, you know, you know, the, the the government has this line that well, nobody owns the water, um, and and uh, and then behaves in a way uh, of ownership, <laughs> and then behaves in a way of ownership, exactly. And it reminds me quite a lot of the, um, you know, they, they now say in the case of the foreshore and seabed, nobody owns the foreshore and seabed, um, and yet there are a whole lot of of property rights that sit underneath what you might think of as full exclusive ownership. Um, and, and in the case of the foreshore and seabed, the Attorney-General um, talked at length about even though uh, full exclusive ownership wouldn't be recognised for Māori, there would still be property rights and interests recognised. So I think to, uh, to say simply nobody owns water is, is a bit disingenuous on the part of the government because clearly there are there are a range of property rights and interests that exist uh, in water. And, for example, uh, the Resource Management Act provides mechanisms for the allocation of what are essentially private rights in water, to use water. And in any case, the, the, the situation that might be the situation under, under the common law or, or, or the, the, um, the New Zealand state, legal system at the moment, but when we're talking about identifying indigenous people's rights to uh, natural resources, land and natural resources such as water, um, one of the, the consistent themes that, that we hear from the courts about how to do that is that you look to the indigenous systems of law themselves to see what rights are recognised within the indigenous system. Uh, so we... Our, our focus ought not to be 
what the common law can recognise, but what rights and interests would be recognised by Māori under, under Māori law, and, uh, according to our tikanga. And quite clearly, um, that does recognise various forms of property rights to use and develop and regulate um, the use of of uh, water resources of different kinds, um, and, and you know no, nobody nobody I've heard is, is saying as a kind of general principle Maori own all the water in New Zealand. What people are saying is that we have particular interests, we have rights and obligations, in fact, um, in relation to the waterways that are in our rohe that 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 you know that we that we use um, our 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 puna um, and we have particular rights and obligations to protect uh, to preserve to control to use to develop those those waterways. The consultation process winds up next week. Submissions due next Wednesday. Um, these. Uh, submissions, uh, forms and, and consultation documents are available on the Treasury's website um, and uh, Maria Barge and I have also put together a, a, a kind of template submission um, which is available on Victoria University's Māori Studies webpage which is uh, www.victoria.ac.nz slash Māori um, so if people can go there and people can have a look at that and they can use that themselves if they want to. Um, we've got two versions up there, a kind of short one um, and a, a longer one which has a bit more explanation of the arguments. Uh, so so people uh, encourage people to use those uh, if they want to. Um, and, you know, you will have heard uh, at the hui that a number of people quite concerned about the nature of this consultation process, um, and the you know the fact that it was the the hui took place over a very short space of time, um, that there's now only until Wednesday to uh, get submissions in. Um, there weren't hui in places like Taranaki and Te Tauihu and and only um, in in Kahununu um, after. Uh, some discussion. Uh, originally, there was going to be no hui there either, and I, I don't think that that this process of consultation really does meet the kind of standards of consultation that are set out in like, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, which this government claims to endorse. Uh, and so, I think there are real questions about whether the government is engaging in this consultation in the kind of good faith we would expect from a treaty partner. But having said all of that, um, this looks like the only opportunity that, that we're going to have to be heard on this issue. So I would encourage people to, to make sure that they have their say. When you think of the pulsating colour and heat of India, you don't necessarily think of Aotearoa. 
Right. Well, maybe not at first, but there has been a cross-cultural exchange between the two countries for some time now. For instance, the Gandhi Institute recognises the significance of Kiara Kalan Jones and all practitioners. Of if you'd like to listen to that again, and, and the delegation is going back, all you can do so at Radio NZ. Next month, another Māori delegation led by Director of the Māori Research Institute, Malcolm Short, and senior scientist Dr. Guna Magisan, accompanies a group heading to the fourth international conference of elders of ancient traditions and cultures. And it's about recognising those traditions on a worldwide scale. And as part of that, back in January, the Māori Research Institute put a call out to the community to nominate a kaumatua who actively practices and therefore revives tikana Māori. Now, while we don't know who that person is yet, the announcement will be made at the conference, I had a call it all with one of the delegation's kaumatua, Ken Kennedy. But the main role that I do for Tarawa is um, one of a few who perform the ancient rituals of Karakia, of prayer. Um, pertaining to the Tarawa tribe uh, when it comes to uh, protocol, especially when the, the iwi decides to build a new marae, the ancient rituals of karakia prayer are performed. And I am, I am one of those as well. And I suppose that's a good lead in, um, Kennedy, to my next part, Thay, or my next question, which is, well, it's the fourth international conference of the elders of ancient traditions and cultures. You mentioned there before about um, the ritual of, of, of karakia. I mean, is that what, is that the purpose of the, the conference? Purpose, the purpose of this, uh, this journey to India is that the request of the Indian people and of course the High Commission is in support. They are looking forward to a Māori delegation from New Zealand to travel to India um, together with other elders of ancient cultures and traditions throughout the world that has been organised by the International Centre of Cultural Studies in India and this conference is held every three years. The previous conferences were held in Mumbai in 2003, Jaipur in 2006, and Nagpur in 2009. So this year, the conference will be held in the north of India at a place called Harudwa. So we will be flying to India on the 26th of February and arriving in New Delhi on the 27th. Uh, we will be visiting, uh, visiting a whole lot of mm. ancient sites in India and and attending the conference of, uh, of the respected elders of the throughout the world who have been invited. What will you be talking about at the conference in terms of ancient traditions and cultures from a Māori perspective? Um, from what I can gather, my role will be to support the delegation of Māori who are going from New Zealand to India, 
we have a wide range of uh, personnel on board, Maori, prominent Maori people who are traveling with me. Some are coming from the universities, some are also coming from uh, successful Maori businesses and organizations. Uh, the role of Maori when it comes to ancient uh, traditional ancient rituals and traditions that have been performed by our ancestors in their time. So uh, we are talking about the the rituals that Māori performed uh, before the arrival of the European to our shores. And so will another member of the delegation um, talk to that, Kennedy? There is some prominent... Uh, experts in tikanga Māori, in Māori customs and traditions, who will be accompanying me on this trip. So, Now, we're not mentioning names, Kennedy. Can you can you tell me who's going to be part of the delegation? Dr. Manuka Enare from the Auckland University will be attending, and he's a prominent uh, uh, professor in Māori at that university. Uh, we also have uh, Mr. Malcolm Short, who is the Chairman of the Māori FOMA, they call themselves. Which is the Federation, uh, of... Federation of Māori yep. Organisations, authorities. We have a delegation coming from the Whanewānanga Awuniārangi in Pakatāne, Kaumātua, and... Uh, so it's a, it's a um, very strong Māori delegation. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a delegation not only education but across the the board you know from different organizations we also have the deputy chairman uh, the deputy mm-hmm. mayor of Rotorua Trevor Maxwell also attending which is which is uh, wonderful to have him to be part of our delegation as well I'm just going to um, quote something from a from a media report that I um, that I read, and it comes from the conference coordinator Professor Yashwant uh, Patek, I think that's how you pronounce it. Now, this is what he said. He said that the organisers are keen to recognise a Māori elder from New Zealand because the Māori com- because the Māori community, in spite of many adversaries, is socially, culturally and politically aware and at at the world stage, Māori community is a role model for other ancient cultures who have struggled to maintain their identity. So um, just going from that quote, there is a recognition that Māori are still still very much um, active in terms of their ancient traditions and cultures? Yeah, I believe so. there, there, are, there are a lot of people around the world that that uh, observe Māori and what they do when it comes to ancient tradition. And uh, I believe that the Māori people uh, are leaders in this field. Um, they have held on to the ancient custom for a long time. We are very spiritual people and... Uh, a lot of our rituals are sort of performed in the middle of the night before the sun comes up, which is very unique. As far as I'm concerned, I, I still abide by what our ancestors did in their time, and uh, I'm not going to let the, the, the world we're living in today alter that tradition 
we mm. are going to hold on to that. And so a lot of a lot of what we do are being observed, and I think that the Indian people uh, have a they have a liking to what Māori do when it comes to the spiritual side of things. Kennedy, earlier in our interview, you spoke of of, of karakia. Is this something that you have um, that you were brought up on that you've practiced throughout your whole life? The the, the ritual of karakia or prayer in in Tarawa. Hmm. In the Tarawa tribal area, the Komatra will observe the people first before they hand down knowledge pertaining to prayer, karakia. And so they will they will they will pick certain people throughout the tribe who are able to obtain and hold on to that special tonga, special treasure handed down from ancestors. And so I suppose I am maybe one of those people that was given the the gift of the the uh, of our elders uh they must have observed that I would have been one of those people that could hold on to the uh, those traditions and customs uh i I am observing a lot of Give us any but examples. I'm, but, I'm, but I'm, well, things like build marais, uh, different organisations throughout the country, but don't use the marae in its rightful, what the marae is meant to be used for. They use it as just another classroom sort of thing. I believe that when you decide to build a marae anywhere, um, the marae should be used for what the marae is used for. Kia ora, koumātua, Ken Kennedy, nor Nasi Pikiao. Now they're jet-setting off next week and we'll bring you an update of how the trip went when they get back. I'm Mariah Rakoku. And I'm Justine Murray and this is Te Ahika. Te Ahika, Radio New Zealand National. Sometimes when you go to art exhibitions, as we've covered a few here on Te Ahika, it's quiet, the space is tailored to the exhibition. Now, Māori market is the antithesis of that. Take a large area, section it off into little pockets, bang artist works up on the wall, and have artists standing randomly around the artworks. When there are so many artists competing for attention of punters, what do you do? Well, of course... You make them laugh. Kia ora, James. Kia ora. Um, can you tell me, please, what your iwi hapu, where you were born and raised? Okay, my iwi is um, we're um, Ngātumapu Arangi, which is out Kiwararapa, and also Arangi Tane, and also Ngāti Kuea, and uh, today I'm Ngāti Raukawa, we're in Purira. <laughs> what do you mean today you're Ngāti Raukawa? Oh, it's more relevant, I should say. <laughs> okay. So, James, we are in your little um, space here at Māori Market. I mean, how has the last one, two, three days been for you? Excellent. It sort of started off with a hiss and a roar, and I think everyone forgot and left their FPOS car. Everyone left their money at home, just come for the alcohol. But the second two, three days was good. People were very receptive to not only my mahi, but everyone's, everyone else's mahi here. So it's been cool. Had some good sales. Um, yeah? How good? How lucrative has Māori Market been? Well, I'm going to buy a push bike this summer, <laughs> which is good. 
for those people who are younger, push bike's actually a, a, a 10 speed. Right. <laughs> so, so lucrative, but yet you're still. Um, well, I'm still not. I'm not flying anywhere for 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 Christmas. <laughs> if that's what you mean. <laughs> Kia ora, James. Now you're wearing a fitted shirt. I, Why? Um, to tow talk or my um, workplace. <laughs> I'm actually a tutor at Fitera, a carve for cattle tutor out there, uh, which is interesting. So you have a carving background. I have a painting background slash for cattle background painting. So it's a bit of it's like you know Maori, sort of lend their hand to everything. So I can yeah also do painting for cattle, know how to cook, clean. Oh, I haven't worked on that one yet. <laughs> So, James, let's have a little, let's move a bit forward. We're in the hub of people here in the Māori market. A piece in front of us, Papatua Nukutu, just an example of what you have on here uh, for sale. Tell us about the aesthetic of your art. OK, a lot of my mahi goes back to the Tewehenga separation kaupapa, so a lot of, a lot of stuff's based around uh, Papatua Nukutu, yeah, Rangi and Papa, and also around Whakapapa. So some of the stuff, well, especially this piece, there's a, a po, and it's referring to um, Tane. And then there's a, a wahine figure here referring to um, Hene Titama. And she wants to know, or we all have heard, I don't know, most of us have heard the story of Hene Titama wanting to know who her father yes, is. Yes. And old Tane says, go to the po of the house. And she finds out that her husband is, was her father. So we have an issue there. <laughs> so she became Hene Nui Te Po. Te po yeah. So we also have that aspect, but it's more about knowing who your whakapapa is, where you come from, which ends up um, taking to where you want to go. So for me, being Māori, being Hungarian, being brought up in Purirua, um, a lot of a lot of the way I see my view on the world really is uh, multicultural. Going to school as a young fella, having my mates are Samoan, mates are Pākehā, mates are um, Māori, well, when you're little, they're just mates. They're just mates. Yeah. And mates. not until later you start being indoctrinated into, um, well, racism, really. There's no other way around it. And then you find, you work it out for yourself that you don't need to be Māori or Tauiwi or Chinese or whatever to be um, a good person or a bad person. So the way I view people now is really, well, they're nice to me, I'm nice back. Someone's not nice to me. I'm nice back to them anyway. So it's it's not about um, it's not about race. It's more about actually being comfortable in your own skin. I'm just blessed that I've uh, happened to be Maori heritage, born in, born in my own country, which we happen to be here. So I would probably be less Maori if I was born in in Hungary. I'd be doing Hungarian um, imagery, and I'd if I would associate with that quite all, but. We're in the Fenua here, Aotearoa, and a lot of my sustenance is from my own whānau. And um, so the imagery thinks to Māori quite strong. Um, Aye. Yeah. And um, political, would you say, with this piece in front of us? Māori, okay. seabed, foreshore. Yeah, that, that's actually a banner which I painted night before going on the march and the hikoi there, and there's a carving piece at the top which is to do with... Uh, the Kōrero story of um, Tiniro and Kai and the pet whale um, Tatanui, which is that's an East Coast uh, uh, kaupapa. 
and it's really to do with the story, the, the symbolism of the story and the whale being uh, brought up on the shore and Kai killing the whale and, and um, well, eating um, Tanito's uh, pet whale, Titanui. So that all happened on the foreshore. So I thought it was apt to have that as, as my tohu for my, well, for my banner. And we've got a name in there, um, Nukutau Te Ruaho, which is the Māori kupu for Riversdale out in Wairarapa. And, um, yeah, so part of that is also bringing back that name out there, which for some people is quite hard, but it's part of our kōrero, who we are, where we come from. Touches back into that whakapapa. Now, part of Māori market is, of course, uh, making sales. So, James, I won't keep you up because I think you may have to... Uh, no, talk to these. <laughs> yeah, now the half is uh, having fun. I've sort of, yeah, enjoyed yeah, it. quite hard case. You're funny. Yeah, only when I want to be. <laughs> well, you don't seem all serious. I mean, you know, art is... I'm over it, OK? <laughs> when I say I'm over it, it's no good waiting for something to happen. You make it happen. And um, without me even knowing it, it's been 20 years I've been painting. And I still think I'm a young fella. So I am, because in Māori, I don't think you sort of, not really, um, you don't sit, well, you don't get into your, you don't get into your stride until about 65, so I'm good to go. I'm still a tamariki for another another 20 years. Your bike's rearing to go when you're ready for your bike. Kia ora, it's artist James Molna. Kia ora. Kia ora. James Molna, nor... No, no, where was he from again just now? Nonga Haue Whakia, from around the four corners from of all Al- over the place. From Aotearoa, <laughs> I am um, to find out, um, to listen to James Kōrero again, head to radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. Anaira, a Kim Kennedy, a Noor, with this week's Fagatoki. You know, there's a uh, saying in Maoridom that goes like this. Uh, which means that we don't like to talk about ourselves too much. Ko matafaura te maunga, ko te rotu iti ki te aihenga te moana, ko te awa okere me te awa o te kaituna ngāua, o ko ngāti piki awa te hapu, ana ko te arawa te iu, o ko Kennedy te whānga Kennedy taku ingoa, that's the show for another week. Let us know what's happening in your rohe. Anything. Marae news? Flick us an email, tiahika at radionz.co.nz. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be profiling Māori works featuring in the International Arts Festival lineup. And our segment, Namare o Te Motsu, is making a comeback for 2012. With a vengeance. He mihi tēnei ki ngā kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. Ki ngā kai rā wiki wiki mihini. Hoki mai hei tērā rā tapu. <laughs> mai te whanua tiahi kā, kia tātou katoa. Mauri ora. Mauri ora.